Welcome to the Healing Journeys Today podcast. Today we've got an amazing message of hope and healing just for you. God's Word never returns to Him void, so let this message sink deep into your heart so that you can walk out your complete healing journey today. Hey, hello everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for another Truth Stream today with Healing Journeys Today. My name is Mike Hesch, and thank you so much for joining me. Praise God. I hope your your day is blessed thus far, and I know that the things I'll be sharing today will add to that blessing because some of the truths I'm going to share today really helped me to be free from uh, the sin consciousness that robs you of confidence in God and, um, you know, keeps you looking at yourself and what you need to do instead of what Christ has already done. So, Anyway, and uh, so uh, how about we just jump into it? <clears throat> I titled this to, today, Do We Need to Confess Our Sins to Be Forgiven? You know, that's a good question. And I think uh, the question comes up because of uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9. But why is this important? If, if we relate this to healing, why would this be important? Well, this is why it would be important. Uh, sin consciousness or a feeling of condemnation hinders you from receiving from God. And it also, it also keeps you stuck to your problem. Because if God is the one who is, guarantees our way of escape and healing comes through him, and you're thinking that's for some reason your sin disqualifies you from receiving from him, then you, that's going to be like super glue to your problem, and you'll never be <clears throat> delivered of it. Let me read before I read in 1 John 1, verse 9. I want to read the reason it's so important to have our heart clear of condemnation. In uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse, let's see, uh, verse 20, it says, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Just pause for a minute. What is the benefit of having confidence towards God? You might think to yourself, you know, which I have for many years, well, I know that God saved me through Jesus Christ. I'm confident in that. If I die, I'm going to heaven. But what about right now? in this moment where you're being challenged, where's your confidence? Especially if you've prayed about something and you're like, you know, looking around, what I call peeking while you're praying, you're waiting for something to happen, thinking, I don't know. What does that do? It makes you feel like, I'm not sure God's hearing me. You know, I minister to a lot of people who have sickness and disease, and that's one thing they say often in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their challenges, they're feeling like they're talking to God, but he's a million miles away. And it's because our circumstance, our situation, the symptoms are to us, they're speaking so much louder than that small, still voice that Elijah heard when he was in a cave and uh, saw an earthquake, the, the rocks rent by the wind and uh, fire. You know, he saw all that, but yet above all that roar, he heard the small, still voice of the Lord. Why? Because he had confidence in God. And uh, so why is it important that our heart condemn us not and we have confidence towards God? Let's stay in 1 John and go to 1 John chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 14. Uh, listen carefully. I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's present tense. He's saying, look, I want you to have your faith in that name of the Son of God. What is the name of the Son of God? It's Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? It means Savior. It means deliverer. It means uh, rescuer. 
That's what the name Jesus means. So he's saying, I'm writing these things so that you believe that Jesus, who you have believed on, is your Savior. And then listen to this. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if he hear, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. See the importance? That confidence puts us in the same place that Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 was so important to be in. Jesus says, therefore, in verse 24 of Mark 11, why did he say therefore? It's connected to the previous verse. He's talking about speaking to your mountain. And he said, when you say to this mountain and you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you'll have whatsoever you say. Then he goes on in, in verse 24 and says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believing you receive. Do you see why the enemy wants to keep you in sin consciousness, in condemnation, in worried about whether you confessed a sin, whether it's under the blood or not? Wow, what bondage that is. It robs you of all confidence that what Jesus has done for everyone includes you. And until you get to that place where you know that you're included, regardless of the symptom you're experience, experiencing, regardless of your situation or your circumstance, where you have that confidence, you're going to waver. And that's what Jesus said, and doubt not in your heart. See, that's the enemy's goal. The enemy can't take Christ from you because you're born again. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 430 makes it very clear. You're sealed. So he cannot take that away from you, but he can destroy you through that lie that you're believing that maybe all my sins aren't forgiven. So that's why I wanted to bring that out first because I want to show the how important understanding this verse 1 John 1, 9 is. We've heard a lot, of, a lot of things about this. I'm sure if you've been in church, it's been preached. Oh, this is talking about unsaved people, what they need to do to be saved. But let's read it and let's see what John's communicating to us and who he is communicating to and why he even brings this up. And I think once we understand that in in, uh, and let the rest of the word show us these points, line upon line, precept upon precept. When we have, when we know all of God's mind and heart on this, then we'll understand His point of view, and that will give us confidence because we'll know that the sin issue has already been taken care of. So let's read it and uh, notice what He says. I'm not going to read the whole thing just for sake of time, but in First John. I'm in 1 John chapter 1, and in uh, verse, let's see, in verse 4, he says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So listen carefully. If you're reading anything in the book of 1 John, know this. If it's producing fear, if it's producing anxiety, if it's producing uncertainty, then you're missing the reason why John wrote it unto you. See, he wouldn't be writing something that's going to condemn you because that would not bring joy. He's not going to write something to make you feel guilty because that would not be producing joy. He's not going to be writing some, something to someone who is not born again or spirit-filled because the joy that it that uh, may be full is coming from the Spirit. And if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. And the, and the joy that he's speaking about is a fruit of that Spirit that you receive through the new birth. Uh, Galatians 5 tells us that. So let's read on. We know that this, is, this has got to produce joy or we're not understanding exactly what it's saying. So let's go on and read. It says, 
He says, this then is the message which we have heard of him, who? Jesus and the Father. And declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Did you hear that? No darkness at all. Isn't that awesome? It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. I'm going to just stop here for a minute. I'm going to go back over what I just read, but let me just stop here for a second. Again, he's saying, I'm writing unto you that you sin not. So notice that if he's writing unto us that our joy may be full, then what is this saying? If, if we're sinning, if we're walking in sin, then that's stopping our joy from being full. The simple point, but it's, it's right here. It's clear as a bell, okay? Notice what he says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. And yeah, and not only ours, but for the whole world. So let me back up and just cover some of these points very quickly and uh, so that, that we have established, okay? So first of all, verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So he is not talking about relationship. You know what starts our relationship with God is the new birth. See, the moment the child is conceived in the womb, it becomes related through that birth, that conception, it becomes related to the husband and to the wife instantly because he's their child. The moment that the Spirit of God enters into us, it conceives in us the new creation, and we are made in that moment a new creation in Christ. So the relationship is established. Fellowship is what you, the, the uh, communication or the interaction that you have after relationship is established, okay? So John is making it very clear here that he's not talking about relationship. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about what you do now that you are a child of God. Okay? Very important. Notice verse 2. I have to bring this up. Notice he says, my little children. So he's, through that statement, he's declaring that he's related to these people that he's communicating to. Now, what does that mean? He's talking to people that are born again, who have received Christ as their Savior, who are now a child of God and, and uh, of Jesus Christ through that new birth. Amen? So, so important. Let's back up. I, I should have read this, but I was trying to save time. Notice verse 3 of uh, 1 John. He says, uh, he says, that which we have seen declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So, so John is making it clear that he's talking about fellowship. I think that's very important for us to understand. Because now it's not about, oh, if I sin, I've broken my relationship with God. No, it has nothing to do with that. He's talking about how we interact with our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ, after we've become born again. That's called fellowship. That's called communion. That's living in. Like Paul put it this way. Paul talked about it as walking in the Spirit 
and then walking in the flesh. So if we're walking in the Spirit, we're having fellowship with our Father, okay, through the new birth. If we're walking in the flesh, we are not having fellowship with God. We're having fellowship with, with the world. We're having fellowship with the devil. We're having fellowship with everything that we were redeemed from. In other words, we're living after the old man and not after the new creation. So he says in verse 6, the point is, he's talking about, look, if we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. So he's saying, he's not saying that we're now separated from God. He's saying, look, you're not telling the truth. If you're walking after the flesh and you say that you're in fellowship with God at that moment, you're not. That's a lie because God has nothing to do with the, the, the unfruitful works of darkness. The only thing we should have to do with those works of darkness is to reprove them, but not to have fellowship with them. And that's what he's talking about. But he says, if we walk in the light, notice it's what we're doing with who we are. So are you walking after the spirit, which is fellowshipping in the light, or are you walking after the flesh, which is walking in darkness? That's the point that he's making here. And I think it's very important for that to be established in our heart before we go any further. Again, if we're walking in darkness, what is that going to do? It's going to it's going to uh, cause give cause to the enemy to have a place for condemnation. Okay, see, uh, according to Romans eight chapter one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Okay, but if you walk after the flesh instead of after the spirit there's going to be a place for the enemy to condemn you over your actions that are uh, walking contrary to the word. And that's exactly what he'll do. How many of you have experienced that? Oh my goodness. I remember even after I received healing the, the, you know, from cancer and was just on cloud nine, I remember I did something really stupid and I thought, oh my goodness. And the devil was right there to, you know, try and draw me back into that old way of thinking. And I said, no way. And these are some of the very verses that the Lord brought back to my remembrance so that I could take a stand against the lie of the enemy. So listen to what he says uh, in verse seven. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ uh, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, when did that happen? That's a relevant question for what we're talking about. When did it cleanse us from all sin? Does it cleanse us today from all sin? Or did it cleanse us when he hung on the tree? When, the important thing to, to note here, the simple point again would be to say, when did he shed his blood? Well, he shed it over 2,000 years ago when he hung on that tree, when he was whipped and scourged, he shed his blood. When that crown of thorn was put on his head, when the, when the nails pierced his hands and his feet, when the spear ran up his side and out came what? Blood and water. Very important point. But so we have to ask ourselves, so when did that take place? Well, let's read here and see. Let's go to Hebrews, uh, some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and you'll know why once you hear them. Listen to what it says here. It says in, um, gosh, 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 gosh. For, in Hebrews chapter 10, let me just read this. I'm going to start in verse 10. It says, by the which will, well, verse 9, it says, Then said he, Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Speaking of the first and the second covenant. And then he says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. Okay? The words in italics, for all, 
uh, have a different meaning to many of us today in a modern way of talking. So I like to eliminate that and say that he, that because they were just added, they weren't in the original text. So listen carefully. It says, by the which we were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. See, he's only going to be offered once, but listen carefully. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In other words, he said that the, the priests would offer sacrifices over and over and over and over again, and they never, ever one time took away sin. In fact, listen to what they did. In, uh, in verse uh, t- uh, chapter 10, verse 1 of Hebrews, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Wow, that's pretty powerful. So Jesus only was offered one time. Why? To purge our conscience from what? from this consciousness of sin, from condemnation. And listen as we go on in chapter 10, verse uh, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that includes the one you just committed. It says, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting all his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, if you have a nearly inspired version or new, uh, I think it's, what is it? NIV. I don't know what it stands for. Oh, New International Translation uh, Version. Uh, They'll say being sanctified. Folks, if we're not sanctified Your works are never going to sanctify you, believe me. We were sanctified by what Jesus Christ has done, and that alone. I'm going to read another scripture about that, and you'll be blessed with that too. But let's read on. It says, the whereof, verse 15, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. What's difficult to understand about that? See, God is not remembering or bringing up any sin that Jesus bore on that tree. To do so, he would deny what Jesus had accomplished. He would be saying, son, you didn't do enough. But in the father's eyes, they were all taken care of. They were all nailed to Jesus, past, present, and future. If they were not, Jesus cannot be offered again. Folks, that's good news to you and me. Wow, I'll give you a chance to run around and shout and be happy here uh, for a minute or two. Remember, These things are written unto us that our joy might be full, folks, not just a little bit, okay? No, but that your joy might be full. These are truths that we should rejoice about, okay? Now, don't stop there. Listen to what it says in verse 18. It says, now where the sending away of these sins is, there is no more offering for sin. Why? Because Jesus was offered one time forever. And the Father did that by placing all sin on Jesus. First, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin hath God made to be sin for us, that we might be what? Have to do works the rest of our life to stay forgiven? No, that we might be made the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that's what 
John is sharing with us right here. He's saying, look, if you're walking in Christ, you're going to be fellowshipping in the light. Paul puts it that way, emphasizes that I believe Paul just had a, uh, a, I don't know, Paul had a different revelation of the same truth, and he expressed it in a way that, you know, I really enjoy because it's so clear to me that we were placed in Christ, and we have a choice whether we're going to dwell in that in Christ and who we are in Him, or whether we're going to dwell after the old man, which is in the flesh. And if we're in the flesh or walking after the carnal, then we can't partake of all that Christ has done for us. It's not that it's not ours, it belongs to us, but you can't uh, appropriate spiritual uh, blessings that we receive through Christ through the flesh. Impossible. How do you do it? What, what John is saying here, we fellowship in the light. And as we're fellowshipping in the light, what happens? Well, fellowshipping in the light is producing life in us and light in us. So back to verse 7 of 1 John 1. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. In other words, he's not saying that once we do, like, you know, today, if I should go out and sin, uh, then it's not like Jesus is now cleansing that sin. No, it's already been taken care of. But he's talking about in the sense of our consciousness, our fellowship with what we are uh, presently doing, okay? He's talking about how we're living our life, fellowshipping with Christ in the light, or fellowshipping in darkness, okay? So listen to verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, he's saying, look, Jesus died for sinners. If you're saying, I don't have any sin, I've never sinned before, there's no sin at all, then we're lying. Because if I err or miss the mark in my daily activity, and I'm walking in darkness, that is a sin. That is, that is a darkness. It's not part of the Father, so it's sin. I'm missing the mark. But am I being judged or condemned for that? No, we're not. Not at all. How can I say that with such assurance? Because Jesus already paid the penalty, took the judgment for that sin. Now, I want to remind you of, of ver, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. The point he's making here is he wants us to know that, look, don't be walking in darkness. Why? Because you won't have any joy there. You'll, you'll be in a place of condemnation, guilt, judgment, uh, separation, you, what the Bible calls death. I'm going to read that in a minute. You'll be, uh, well, like Paul said, he said to be carnally minded is death. It's not that you die the first time you're carnally minded and you fall over and you get buried. No, you become separated from the things of the spirit when you're thinking with a carnal mind. But it says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, look, if you are, are walking after the word, which is what he spoke unto us, you're going to be walking in spirit and in life. Amen? So let's go back here. He says, he says uh, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Quite clear in context. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what's the point he's making here? I think a key word in all of this is the word confess. You know, I don't know, uh, there's probably many of you out there that have some kind of a Catholic, some kind of a Lutheran, some kind of a Baptist, well, we could just name them all. <laughs> Background, 
where we have been taught from the pulpit that you gotta confess your sins. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Let me go there. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. I want you to listen carefully because we were told something very different than what this verse is saying. In verse in chapter 10, which this is the this is the chapter that is used most frequently in leading someone who is unsaved uh, to Christ. And listen to what it says here. Verse uh, 9 of chapter 10 of Romans. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now listen very carefully. You're not confessing anything about your own performance or lack thereof. You're confessing what? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, you're crying out to Jesus to save you. Verse 13 makes it clear, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call on Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Again, Jesus means Savior. So your confession here is not what you've done wrong, but what Jesus has done right. That's what you're focused on. And that because he did those things right, that he was judged in our place as the Lamb of God, no different than the Lamb that was offered at Passover, the Lamb that was offered, uh, the goat that was offered on the Day of Atonement. No different. It was a soul for a soul. And that's exactly what Jesus was. He was a substitute for you and me. He took the weight of our sin. He was judged in our place. And to prove that God accepted Jesus as our, as the payment or the propitiation for our sins, that that was enough to the Father, Jesus raised again, showing that when he was in hell, God judged him for our sins, past, present, and future. If he hadn't, Jesus could have never raised again. In other words, if our sins are still requiring judgment or payment, then Jesus would have never raised again because man has not ceased to sin since Christ was offered. So God took everything in the way that only he could do it because he is God. He was able to take all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, and place them on his son and judge his son for that sin, sin itself, so that you and I might be free from that. That's awesome. So what is he saying here in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The word confess means to literally, it means to say the same thing as another. So who's the another that we should be saying the same thing as? We should be saying the same thing as God says about our sin. And what is that? That Jesus bore that for us, the judgment for that, that there is no judgment against us. That's why it goes on to say, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why? Because he already judged them on Jesus Christ. Wow. So wait a second. You say, you mean then I don't have to confess my sins? No, you don't have to confess your sin in the sense like you learned in the Catholic Church to someone else. You say, well, what about James? He says, confess your faults one to another uh, that you may be healed. No, that's not required. Jesus bore everything necessary for you and I to walk free from sin, guilt, condemnation, sickness, disease, poverty, everything that sin brought into our life. When Jesus bore that, bore, took our place, he cleared that slate for us, past, present, and future. Why? So that we could have fellowship with him. In the same way Jesus had fellowship with his father, that's the way you and I can have fellowship with the father. 
but we can't be walking in sin or darkness and have fellowship with the Father. And we wouldn't want to do that anyway because there's no joy in that. And that's the point he's making. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if the Father in any way imposed any kind of judgment on us, he would be disesteeming the finished work of Christ. In other words, he would be saying, well, yep, I know I put all the ones that I could on Jesus at the time, but I didn't know you were going to do this, that, and the other. No, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, does it, folks? Okay, uh, when you think about it in context of this word, of this, of what the word is saying here. Now, listen to this. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know that in the same book, John says that all unrighteousness is sin? Then that's a true statement. If I go out and commit a sin today, that is unrighteous. Okay? But if I say the same thing about that sin after I acknowledge it, then I'm not going to stay in the unrighteousness that I've chosen to walk in in that moment, but I'm going to restore myself to my present status with God, which is righteousness. Amen? Are y'all getting this? This is an awesome, awesome truth. Now, let's just jump ahead here. Listen carefully. If this is talking about we need to have our sins forgiven each time we touch them, I mean, each time we commit a sin, listen carefully to what um, John says in chapter 2, same book, same writer, of, of verse 12. Listen to what he says. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for, forgiven you for his namesake. In other words, because Jesus is Savior, because Jesus has accomplished what he did, then our sins are forgiven in honor of what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Simple way to put it. So why would John be saying two opposite things within, you know, 10 verses of each other? He's not. He's actually, folks, he's saying the exact same thing. And that's the importance of studying the word line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, so that you have this understanding and you can say, oh, and it's not something the devil can come to. Here, folks, let me throw this in. I spent so much time studying with a concordance. I looked up the root word of the root word of the root word of the root word of the root word all the way back to the very letter that it came from. And I'll tell you what, folks, I had a lot of information, but I had no confidence towards God. Uh, you can't fight the devil with words. You can't fight the devil with Greek and Hebrew. He knows it better than you do. He knows it better than the, the scholars know it, okay? And, and he's going to just chew you up and spit you out. But what he cannot, what he cannot chew you up and spit you out about is what Jesus Christ has done for you, line upon line, precept upon precept. When you say, like Jesus said, let's just stop here for a moment. Go back. Jesus is in the wilderness, okay? He's being tempted by the devil. He never once brought up a strong concordance word. Not one time. He didn't say, well, it says uh, that, you know, if you're the son of God, the word if in the Hebrew means this, this, and that. No, he didn't do it. Why? Because that's not what he wrote on his heart. He wrote truth on his heart. Words are not truth. Words are words. They're dried ink on a piece of paper. But truth is spirit and life. And our heart is spiritual. Jesus took the words of his father and he etched them into his heart where they became one. And that's what John is admonishing us here. He said, let what Christ has done for you, 
for his namesake. Let that be written on your heart. And he's stirring up their way of remembrance. He says, look, I'm writing unto you because your sins are forgiven. So don't sin. Why would you go out and do something that needed a forgiveness? Why not just live in something that needs no forgiveness at all? Amen? I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. This is awesome. In Ephesians chapter 1, listen to how uh, this is recorded here in First John, uh, first Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see. It says, um, oh, I'm just going to read the verse. In verse 7, it says, in whom, speaking of we've been placed in Christ, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Notice that it's past tense, that we have forgiveness through his blood, which has already been shed, and we have redemption. What is redemption? The, the literal definition means that to buy back. In other words, we were sold into sin by our own choice. In other words, to whomsoever we yielded our members, servants to obey, our, that servant we became. And that's exactly what happened. We became a servant of the devil the moment that we chose to sin and the Spirit of God departed from us. Now, once we became born again, we were sealed by the Spirit of promise, the Holy Spirit of promise, that same chapter there. And we can never be separated now that we're born again because we're placed in Christ. That's where our sanctification has occurred, is in placing us in Christ. We are new creatures. Amen? Listen to what it says in uh, Romans chapter 6 here. Um, it says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which has delivered you, past tense. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. See, we have a new owner. We've been redeemed out of sin, and now we've been placed into Christ, and that blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Now listen to what he says here in verse 19 of Romans 6. He said, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even now so yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. He said, what fruit had you, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, separation from the spirit of life. That's what he's saying. He said, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And he makes the same point here. He says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, if you're going to live in sin, you're going to be separated from the things that God has done for you in Christ. Not that they're not yours. It's you're going to be walking contrary to what is actually yours. That'd be like if you had a million dollars in your bank account and you're out begging on the street corner for money. You have everything that you need that as it's, has been provided for you, but you're choosing not to live in that. You're choosing to live after the flesh, which is unprofitable. It's below your status. Amen? And so let's go on in 1 John. In uh, 1 John, let me go back there. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all, from all unrighteousness. The Father would not be faithful, nor would he be just, if he tried to condemn you or judge you in any way for any sin that you have committed once you are born again. And that's the point he's making. He said, look, don't go there. Those sins have been forgiven. Don't live out in sin. 
you know, listen carefully. This is, uh, go to chapter five with me. I'm not going to go into details on what this means, but I'm just going to show you what can happen. In uh, verse, uh, 1 John 5, verse 17, it says, All unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Notice what he's saying. If you're born of God, it's impossible for you to sin that would require a judgment from God. Why? Because you're in Christ. And you can't come out of Christ to do anything. God did not take away our free will. We're still in this flesh. We still can live with an unrenewed mind. And that is all going to affect how we live in this world and if we live in this world. But listen to what verse 16 says. It says, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall pray for it. In other words, there, there is a sin in this world where we can lose our physical life. And he's saying, look, you, there is a sin unto death. Uh, I'm not going to teach on this now, but like Moses and Aaron, they both committed a sin unto death. They were saved eternally, but they lost their physical life on this earth. So there is a sin that is unto death, but he's, and nobody can pray for that because you have, you're purchasing your own uh, way out when you commit that sin unto death. But he says, if we see a brother sin a sin which is not unto death, we can pray for them and God will give them life. In other words, we can see somebody that's done something stupid and uh, it's not a judgment, it's just an observation, and they end up uh, being hurt as a result of it, we can pray for them. God has given us authority in this area where we can pray for them, and if they'll receive it, they'll receive life, and they won't die as a result of that sin, okay? So the point I want to make is, does sin affect us? Yes, it does, but only after our flesh, not after the Spirit. Why can I say that with such assurance? Because God is faithful and just. He's not going to condemn us. So if we are, if we do sin, we should say the same thing about that sin that God is saying about it today. You know what? That's not who I am. That is not the nature I've been given. That is walking after the flesh. I condemn that. I don't, I'm not in agreement with that flesh at all. And I I'm choosing now to walk contrary to that flesh. That's what our heart says. We're saying the same thing that our Father says to us. He's not going to bring up our sin, but He'll remind us that we're righteous, that that's not how we should live our life, that, that He'll correct us and instruct us, but He'll never condemn us. He'll never judge us. Why? Because that's already been done in Christ. And for him to bring that up would be to deny what Jesus Christ has done. Well, folks, I have a dozen more scriptures here we could go over, but uh, I think uh, the, the point that we wanted to cover in 1 John 1, 9, uh, the Lord has really opened our eyes to see clearly what that is saying. And again, I just want to remind you the three things that why John wrote this. One is, he said, I write this unto you that your joy might be full. He said, I write this unto you that you sin not. And then verse 12, I write this unto you because your sins are forgiven you. So wow, those all those three statements bring joy. If you're reading these scriptures or any place in the word, and it's not bringing joy unto you, now, mind you, joy doesn't mean you'll never be corrected. In fact, when you yield to correction from our Father, it brings forth a peaceable fruit of righteousness, which produces joy in our life. So it's not saying we'll never be corrected. What it's, what it's saying here is that the truth, will, when it's received, will always bring forth joy in our life. And when we choose to not sin, then that's going to allow that joy to be full in our life. And if we're mindful that, hey, 
all of my sins are forgiven, then we won't be walking in sin or or making those choices uh, after sin, but we'll be reminding ourselves if we should sin that we do. Listen to this in uh, verse 2. I mean, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, for he is the propitiation for our sins, as well as the whole world. What does that mean? Uh, The advocate, in other words, Jesus is going to look, I mean, our Father is going to look at what Jesus did for us. And that's where we're going to have the... um, what would you say that uh, that's where the advocate is? In other words, our Father's going to look and see what Jesus has done, and that sin that if we sin will not be charged to our account because of Christ having already borne that. So, isn't that good news? Man, that just produces joy in me to know that wow, I don't have to pay for the sin, and even if I do sin, I don't want to sin, but if I do sin, I know that phew, Jesus was the is my advocate. And even though that occurred 2,000 years ago, he'd already taken care of it. He was the propitiation or he was the payment, the substitute, the offering that pleased God. And so you and I don't have to be judged for that. Amen. Well, praise God. Thank you for joining me. Uh, God bless you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you for being with me and sharing this time with me. Thank you. We hope you got some great nuggets of wisdom out of that teaching. Thank you for listening to the Healing Journeys Today podcast. And don't forget, you can find us live on Facebook and YouTube seven days a week. If you would like to donate, please go to www.healingjourneystoday.com. Isaiah 53.5 says, And by His stripes, we are healed. God bless you.